Welcome to episode 40 of You Are Not A Frog, leading with tough love. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high-stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turn executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. I thought you'd like to know a little bit about the events that are coming up and the resources that we have available. So all the way through the coronavirus crisis, I've been doing some free webinars for managers all around how to support your teams. If you'd like to find out about the upcoming webinars, then click on the link in the show notes. I've also paired up with Dr. Serena Chibber. Now, Serena's a Redwell GP Update presenter. She's also the co-founder of My Locum Manager. And we are going to be running a free webinar for GP mums who are just about to qualify. It's called Preparing for Life After VTS for GP Mums, Getting the Balance. So if you fit that category or if you're a GP trainer or if you know anybody who might benefit from that webinar then please pass the details over to them. It's on the 9th of July and we would love to see as many people on the webinar as possible. If you'd like to know about all the forthcoming events then do sign up to our mailing list. Every week we're sending out some useful resources as well as useful links to click on and information so do join up on the links below. On with the episode. In this episode, I'm chatting with Gary Hughes, who's a practice manager, an author and a leadership facilitator. We talk about the different styles of leadership that are needed through the different phases of our response to coronavirus. And we especially talk about the need for kindness and compassionate leadership, but how you also need to be very clear with people and how we sometimes need to show some tough love in the way that we lead. So this episode is very practical, contains a lot of handy tips for people who are leading teams throughout the response and the recovery phase of the coronavirus crisis. Here's the episode. So it's brilliant to have with me on the podcast today, Gary Hughes. Now, Gary Hughes is a practice manager. He's a blogger. He's an author. He's an educator and facilitator. But Gary, what are you doing at the moment? What roles are you working in at the moment? Well, the, it's great to be here doing this today, Rachel. The main one is practice manager. That's my full-time role. But I, I spend a lot of time writing. I enjoy writing, so I blog once a week. I've turned those first 52 of those blogs into... A book. Um, the second book will be out later in the year because so I'm on number 117. So I, I enjoy outside of work, I enjoy the writing around leadership, the context of general practice, and I try and spend some as much time as I can educating, facilitating around leadership and helping our GP trainees in the practice. That's great. And so I know that you've been putting out some stuff, quite a lot of stuff on LinkedIn during COVID. What have you been blogging about that's got a particularly, you know, good reaction or that's really chimed with people struck a chord well, 
Well, most recently, I put three pieces out that um, I felt were important for you know leaders in this situation that we're finding ourselves in at the moment. So the first one was around leading with love. You know, I felt we had to change how we're leading and you know more empathy and understanding. The second piece I wrote on was increasing visibility. I think at, at these times, you know, whilst the leader may want to run to their room and hide, you know, I think that's perfectly natural. Actually, the leader needs to be more visible because everybody else is feeling more vulnerable and dealing with all the uncertainty. So the second piece was around increasing your uh, visibility. And the third piece was around moving forward because I think, yeah, again, in these situations, you know, there's that fight like freeze situation i think it's an important thing that an organization doesn't freeze i think you've got to keep moving forward you might have to shorten your horizon you might have to do things a little bit differently but i think it's important that the organization and the people understand that you are still moving forward and that hopefully they can see that there is an end point to all of this and that you are progressing so those were the three uh, you know leading with love increasing the visibility and um, to keep moving forward. And they've been well received, really pleased. I think people are, are really looking <clears throat> for stuff that's going to help them, you know, lead through this crisis because we've never been here before, have we? We've never been here before. We've never had to deal with this. We've never had um, something that has affected <clears throat> everybody in such a huge way. And there is no rule book for this. No, I quite agree. I think, you know, certainly in my career, I've never, ever been through a crisis plenty of crises that have been through, but nothing like this. There's certainly, you know, like yourself, lots of people that are able to offer great advice on dealing with the, you know, the resilience and the mental uh, well-being side, which isn't what I would be able to do. So I wanted to talk about how you know, leadership has to change and how you can, you can actually get through the crisis. So yeah, it's been well received, really pleased, had something to say and um, hopefully it'll help people. And what has surprised <laughs> you about the way that people have reacted in the crisis you know have your team at work reacted in exactly the way that you thought they would have done yeah i think largely i think that's been true for everybody i've seen there's been some nice surprises but i always say my practice have got a real can-do attitude you know whatever's thrown at them they will you know band together and get through it and largely that's been the case so you absolutely the anxiety levels have gone up but they have largely gone on and battled through and um, so I think as to be, ex- that's, uh, you know, as I, I would have expected, although I couldn't predict it, what sort of crisis this was going to be like, I mean, it's monstrous, isn't it? I think outside of our practice, our CCG traditionally would not have worked with practices very well and supported them, but they've been brilliant. I have to say, our CCG, which traditionally haven't been great, you know, they really have communicated well, you know, again, really important. They, you know, we've had weekly meetings where we were before. Um, they've worked with us. They've been prepared to be flexible. You know, I suppose that leading with love side of things from their perspective, you know, they haven't rigidly stuck to the rules. It's got to be done this way. They've understood our anxieties and concerns and they've, you know, been empathetic and, you know, they changed. So that was a surprise. So I think, people, yeah, the people have acted in, sometimes as you'd expect and sometimes not. That's really interesting we say about the CCG and I think that a lot of people have within medicine and outside of medicine have found that actually there's been some organisations that have traditionally been pretty, what's the word, obstructive and seem to sort of just be making all the rules and everything you want to do to try and change they've been sort of stopping. You know, every time you want to make a change they've been 
blocking, blocking, no, you've got to follow these guidelines, you've got to go through these processes. And actually in the COVID crisis, they've been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they've said, right, let's, let's just get on. What can we do to support you? We've scrapped this rule, we've scrapped that rule, just get on. We're all just muddling through, we're doing our best in a crisis. And that has been, I know, so helpful for yeah. lots of people. There have been some organisations that, it has to be said, haven't been like that. And they've kept up the rules and the regulations and and actually not been not been so helpful. And I think that will probably be remembered after, yeah. afterwards. But we were talking earlier, there was a really interesting paper from the British Psychological Society that, that's talking about people's reactions in this crisis, whether it be an organisational reaction or an individual reaction as a leader or, you know, as a team member and talking about sort of three distinct phases. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on those, Gary, you know, being there, working in the practice, leading a a large team of people. The three phases they talked about, first of all, the preparation phase where, you know, you can see it coming. And I think we had, you know, a a fair preparation phase, didn't we? It, It was pretty quick. But, you know, everyone just had to scrabble and, and change. It probably yeah. lasted maybe one or two weeks. Yeah, um, very got, quick, very quick. Yeah, it was it was quicker. And I am stunned by how quick people managed to pivot and change. Mm. You know, everything went virtual, didn't it? I know certainly from the GP side of things, GPs who for you know, the last 20 years have gone, you know, over my dead body, am I ever doing a virtual consultation? Yeah. Suddenly go, whoa, yeah. these are really good. We could do that. Uh, you know, general practice was really flexible. I know, know we've had a lot of flexibility in law and accountancy, you know, all these other places and, and in secondary care as well. So the preparation, but then you've got this active phase where you see two distinct sort of reactions. First one is the heroics and the surge to action, which I think we definitely saw, you know, everyone signing up to help and just dropping everything and saying, here I am, what can I do? Then you move through to the disillusionment and exhaustion as it carries on. And I think we definitely, definitely seen quite a lot of that. And we're definitely Mm. a lot of us in the exhaustion phase right now. Then you've got the sort of recovery phase. Really interesting, yeah. The getting out of it, the how are we going to do things now, which which can be really positive, but that this is where you might really start to see some of the psychological problems. So where do you think we are right now? Or do you think we sort of oscillate between a couple of them? It feels to me that we're at the sort of the cusp between the 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 active and the recovery. I think we're just sort of looking at the recovery and we've got to do that. Certainly that's how it feels to me in, in the practice. I think you know, if you hear what's happening in the media and have the government changes, that's how it feels that we're just about to start or just starting that recovery phase. And, you know, and I think it, it, it's certainly exciting times and it's times for, you know, the leaders to really come to the front as well and make sure that keeping moving forward, you know, we can do that now. I think as a practice, we certainly saw all of those three phases in some respect. Do you want me to talk a little bit about how, you know, it felt? Um, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what, so, what you, you know. It, yeah. it, looking back, it's interesting because I hadn't seen the model until we, you know, we spoke about it. But looking back and reflecting on yes, how we fitted, I think that first stage, the preparation stage, it was really quick, and there was almost not much time to do anything. And I think things for us in the practice, you know, we did very little, but it was about making sure that we were safe as much as we would know what we had to do to be safe. So it was about getting PPE. Yeah. Not much more than that. You know, it was just making sure we had all the equipment that we needed uh, to be safe. And, and even then, you know, I, I think 
This crisis we've been through really described very well a VUCA world. So, you know, I think there was so much uncertainty and volatility around. We, we didn't really know an awful lot what we had to do with PPE. We knew. So we, we focused on that. And there was, even though it was short, it felt to me that there was waiting. We knew it was coming and there was an element, okay, we're waiting for it, it to hit and for it to happen. When we got to the active phase, I think initially it felt like there was a lot of bunkering down. You know, we were going to protect ourselves. You know, we locked the doors very quickly and they're still locked. Again, we, we upped the PPE <clears throat> that was changing with the guidance to make sure we had you know, more PPE goggles and gowns instead of aprons. We put, put in place remote working, so all the phones and video consultations and GPs working at homes and social distancing within the practice and, you know, the patients coming in. So there was a real bunkering down to protect us. We then we upped the comms as well then, that, you know, that, I think that, uh, that visibility side of things. And we, as a practice, we would have had a, a meeting once a month with our, if you like, um, partners and myself, our, the key team and the, the nurse manager. And we changed that to once a week. And it's hard work, it's tiring, exhaustion comes in then. But it's a good thing to make the decisions quickly when everything's changing so quickly. And, and you know, also just keep in touch with people. And we started a lot of the meetings with asking, how are you feeling? Yeah, how are you? And, you know, we were reasonably open about how we were feeling at the time. So, so we, we upped the comms an awful lot. And it was good to see our CCG outside data up the meetings and the comms, all virtually, but it's worked, the technology worked brilliantly. There was also putting systems in place, which had to change all the systems in place, you know, at low three level hot sites, so we making sure we weren't seeing COVID patients or suspected COVID patients. And again, those phone only appointments, um, hardly anything face-to-face. Um, and just systems for infection control as well, just uh, cleaning everything down and making sure there were breaks in the appointment system to do this. And the, the management, I definitely consciously relaxed how I then managed. Right. Uh, it was, the, you know, that leading in with love. I, I didn't want to be, whilst I wanted to be visible, and I found that a challenge to make sure I was, but I didn't want to worry too much about people sticking to processes and systems that, you know, weren't about safety, but about us doing the work. I, I, I just wanted them to feel relaxed as much as I could. They were going a little bit earlier, coming in a little bit later, spending a bit more time talking. You know, I wasn't going to worry about it too much. I wanted to them to feel as relaxed as they could because anxiety levels were up yeah. in that you know at that active stage i think they were the key things that we saw throughout this patients have been really good actually we wanted patients to stay away and i suppose the the visible signs we didn't say stay away explicitly but you know the visible signs were the locked doors and we're not booking face-to-face appointments and they did uh, I suspect, you know, it must, well, it would be that their own anxiety levels would have been high and they wouldn't have wanted to come into the practice. And But the patients have been great through this as well, really, really supportive. So those are, in the active stage, those are the things we've seen. Uh, I think you, you talked about um, people's exhaustion and, you know, maybe that's there now as we're at the end of this. For me, it's coming waves. That there have been weeks. And interestingly, after the long weekends that we've had for Eastern Bank holiday, People came back in and whilst you would hope they would have been a bit lifted by a rest, actually it was the opposite. It was almost like, I've got to come back to this. And it feels like it's been a bit in waves. We've had phases where 
everybody's been up and it has been more that everybody has been you know, one or two people have been a bit different but it's almost been we've been together everyone's been a bit up or everyone's been a bit down so it feels like it, it, it's coming waves that has I think that's really interesting observation about the bank holiday rest because my observation is that rests are not quite as restful as they used to be no no it, you know absolutely. whereas before you'd work really really hard like oh bank holiday brilliant yeah. we could go see our friends our family <clears throat> chill out at the beach have a barbecue yeah. well <laughs> in england yeah maybe maybe <laughs> chill out in your house yeah. have a barbecue standing in the rain yeah but um after this bank holiday it's like all of this is more of the same I don't really need a bank holiday because yeah. actually work Absolutely. is a welcome break from maybe the monotony of being a, of being at yeah. home. So we're not, I don't think we're getting as regenerated by our rest time as we used and that, to. I completely agree. We've, you know, it's reached Friday and I think every one of us is ready for the weekend and to, to stop work for the week. But you come in on a Monday and, you know, when you have the normal conversations, how was the weekend? A bit boring, you know, yeah. didn't do much. Same old. Uh, uh, yeah, and it, it, so it, it doesn't, it's not recovery and recharge as it should be. And the, the longer bank holidays were not what we expected. We did find there was a little bit of a dip after those. Even though mm, the weather was marvellous, wasn't it? And I, I mean, I think the one thing about the whole COVID crisis is, and, and I know this is a really trivial thing, but because the weather has been so good, yeah, it does make people feel better. I, I dread to think what would have happened actually if the weather had been really awful the whole time I think we'd all be feeling a a lot worse and it's weird isn't it how mood is linked to to weather but I think it is yeah but it has you're absolutely right the weather weather has helped definitely most definitely so Gary you talked about this leading with love and the Mm. importance of doing that how do you balance that with the need to in a crisis respond with strong leadership to be what Daniel Goldman calls more of a sort of pace setting leader or a sort of command and control leader in a crisis that people sometimes do need how, how did you get that balance right because I reckon it's yeah. very difficult and, it, it, well, and you're, you're right and interestingly I've not blocked too much through this Covid crisis I, I've blocked less but the three that I've mentioned there is one other one that I wrote and that was about tough love okay uh, so I and and I wrote that because we've had an exact situation we've had a difficulty in the team where there was it was just a situation that was coming across as a little bit unfair and there was no explanation behind it it didn't make sense it wasn't justified it was causing some ripples in the practice among, amongst the team and I just felt, okay, this has to be stopped. And I needed to speak to everybody together, but, you know, that's not possible at the moment. So I had to resort to email. So it was a very strongly worded email that, you know, essentially was, I pointed out the values as a practice that we would normally have, making everybody welcome, you know, warm, friendly, friendly, friendly practice, supportive. We seem to be forgetting those in this particular instance. And just, you know, saying it, it, this has to stop. We have to draw a line under this and move forward. And a couple of weeks ago, that was now and seems to be that it, it's worked. So, I, you know, I, whilst I have been through this, definitely more relaxed and, you know, cutting people a bit of slack for of a bit of expression, there still were, I think, when you get situations that are not helping, I think there is a time that a leader then has got to, you know, take a firm line on it and um, help everybody overcome it and move forward. 
Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. Yeah, you really have to step up, don't you? Because if other people see that bad behaviour is continuing or stuff is yeah. just being let go, that's really demoralising for the rest it, of the it, team. It, absolutely. And as a, as a leader, I've always taken the view that I'm not going to... Step in when people have their own sort of petty squabbles and differences and things. Resolve them yourselves. But I'll step in when it affects the practice, the organisation, I mean, and the work. And it, it had got to that point. So, you know, I will step in and step in, in firmly then as well. And, you know, it, it's, I think if, as long as you people can understand why you're doing it, what you're doing, and you're doing it, you know, proportionately and fairly and everything like that, then I think um, it's well received. And it was, you know, people, I was being asked to do it as well as, you know, um, needing to do it. So, yeah, yeah so you have to, you know, that you have to, as well as leading with love, if you've got to be prepared to step in and be tough if needed. Yeah, and I, I think this is going to actually be needed more and more because I was talking to a, a friend who works in a completely different organisation, but, you know, some of her staff initially, they were saying, you know, okay, if you're not comfortable coming for work to work, you, you can stay at home, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now there's some slightly dubious reasons for staying at home or there's some reasons yeah. that, that can't really be sustained long long term <clears throat> that they're now going to have to be saying, actually, you know, we need a bit of proof. We need from it, we need to follow some HR policies about who's got to come in, who who doesn't. And so it's changed from this whole preparation, you know, let's all just make sure everyone is okay to actually now we have to run this organization and do the best for our clients. And actually, I'm sorry, but this is what you're contracted to do. And unless there yeah. is a good reason now, that is that is really tough to move to saying that when actually we've been saying to everyone, let's just do what you're comfortable with. We just need to look after everybody. Yeah, I, I, it is. And I think, you know, it's, I think for every manager and leader, uh, you've got to be careful right at the beginning that you, you don't sort of lay down a road that um, is going to be full of pitfalls for you. And you've got to make sure that if you're saying something at the beginning, you can be consistent with it. And so to give you an example, our admin team, we've had to have two people off for shielding. They were well enough to be working, but shielding advice, they had to be off. We could have set them up for remote working and, you know, we had the technology and everything, but we didn't need to do it. We didn't have enough work there. We didn't really need to do it. I wasn't convinced that tech, that, you know, I wanted to, for IG rules to give them the technology in the home. So, so we decided, no, we're not going to do that. Now, we've had situations since then where, again, we've had the request, can I work from home? You know, I've got the technology and it might have been a better one for us to do it actually might have made more sense because I didn't do it at the beginning I wanted to make sure no, I'm not going to do it now because as you know it's the situation you just just described I think as long as at the beginning just be clear on what you're doing what the goals are what you need and thinking ahead you know actually can I be consistent with this and, or would I you know possibly come unstuck if I'm asked again or slightly mm. different so 
Yeah. yeah can, um, I, can I just offer a bit of challenge there, though? Don't, don't yes. rules have to change? Because at the beginning of the crisis, we had no idea what was going to happen. You know, we had no yeah. idea. We didn't even know what the virus, what, the, what it did, you know, who was going to be affected more. So is it the case that you should never change a rule that you've set at the beginning? Or actually in view of the, like the VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, yeah. complex and ambiguous, the fact that we're now new, new stuff is emerging all the time and things are changing, we can then change the rules? And if so, then how do we change the rules in yeah, a compassionate and I, I, manner? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think fair, fair challenge. I, I think I'm really glad that rules have changed. Our CCG have changed loads of rules. Yeah. That's and I suppose what I'm more talking about is... I'd be prepared to change the rules and offer flexibility, but not articulating this very well, actually. It's, I, th- I think you can, you can be flexible and adjust things, but you, don't, you still can make sure that you don't fall into a trap and have you know, one member of the team saying, well, you let that person do it, why can't yeah. I do it? And, yeah. It needs know, to be fair. Just got to, yeah, you've got to have you know, the, the parameters right. You've, everybody's got to understand, well, what's the goal and the purpose of what we're doing? But you're absolutely right. You know, rules do change. I mean, we would never have let our GPs work. Well, I say never have let. They they would never have worked from home, our GPs. They have been. Our admin team have never worked from home. They still don't need to. You know, there's not the need to. Now, actually, I'm our admin team. They, I think it's difficult for the admin team to work from home. I could work from home quite easily, and there would have been a good reason for me to say right at the beginning when they said if you can work from home, work from home would have been a good reason for me to say, you know, okay, I'll work from home. But I took the con- uh, conscious decision and communicated it as well, like, I won't be working from home because I think that would have set a really bad example as a leader. And then somebody else could have said, what about me? Why can't I work? Yes. I can do this from home. So it's that, yeah, making sure you're careful about what you're agreeing at the beginning and have some flexibility maybe, but not cause a problem. I think it's it's this thing about fairness that really triggers people, isn't it? it? Yeah, it is. And I don't know whether I communicate that answer that clearly. No, I think you answered it really, really well. It's it's I think it's a really difficult, really difficult one because what is fair in in, oh, in this crisis? I, God, yeah. How do you I, make that decision? Absolutely. And, and you know, I in terms of that exact, you know, how do you make the decisions? And this is another thing I've written about actually is. When I'm faced with a really, really difficult decision, I tend to resort to what's the best for the practice, not what's the best for the person or what's the easiest for me to make or whatever other reason. What's the best for the practice? You know, that practice has been there since the 1950s. It's going to be there, you know, long, long after me and anybody else that's worried about fairness. And then I tend to say, right, what's the best decision for the practice? And I'll, you know, when, when it's a really tricky decision, yeah. That's my kid. That's a, a good version of the Stevens question. Have you heard of, about the Stevens question? No. I came across this <clears throat> fairly recently. I love it. So uh, there was a, a Cambridge rowing coach called right. I can't remember his first name. Stevens was his his second okay. name, and you know his his name is listed on the board of the the Cambridge Boat. And I think there's there's a book about this. And the Cambridge Boat Club team in their manifesto, their manifesto is to beat Oxford in the boat race. Okay. That is the reason for their boat club existence. Now, as a rowing team, you have all sorts of opportunities throughout the year to do lots of different races, different heads of the rivers race, different this, different that. 
But what Stevens made them do is every time they had an opportunity to do a race or a training opportunity uh, or a diet changing opportunity or a physio opportunity or, or something, the question that they would ask themselves was... Does the boat go... Does it make the boat yes, go... Yes, will it make uh, the boat uh, go yes. faster? And yes, apparently, yes. you know, this has been really taken on by, by rowing, oh. rowing teams. And apparently, and someone I'm sure will correct me if I'm wrong, at the Sydney Olympics, the people who rode in the eight there, they didn't go to the opening ceremony of the Olympics because they asked the question, will um, this make the boat go faster? And they thought, mm, late nights, you know, yeah, a, yeah. Lot of, a lot of preparation. No, it won't make our boat go faster. They didn't go. And um, so, I, you know, whenever I do sort of team training, I'm always thinking of this the Stevens question, you know, will it make up? What is your Stevens question? It's a brilliant one. I, now, I came across that um, our school governor, and as a governing body, we wanted to define our purpose. And we had a facilitator help us, and she introduced us to exactly that and said, you know, that that was so simple. So, yeah, it's, it is a great one. Really, really good. And I was just trying to think how that would apply to individuals and people. And I think if you're asking, you know, will this make what's best for our practice, you know, will this make our practice better? If you've got someone who's going to be very affected by the decision, so she won't be working or he won't be working as well, then it's not going to make the practice better. So then you'll make that decision, but with the base mm. of the practice. And it, you it, absolutely. And I, you know, I think when I've been in those situations, the context of, you know, what's best for the practice, you might be thinking from a patient perspective, you know, it might be about can we carry on delivering these services? It might be a financial perspective. So, you know, you, it's that's such a broad thing. So you might be looking at it in different ways, but honing it to what's the best for the practice, I will be safe making the decisions that way. Yeah, and I think that's really important because otherwise, if you're a, a leader who's very people-focused, and there was a, an episode of the podcast with Gita Trevorrow-Seymour we did recently about the sort of different social styles. So if you're someone who has a, you're, you're very people-focused, you're, you like harmony and you don't like upsetting anybody, then some of your leadership decisions are quite likely to be quite skewed towards trying to keep everybody happy, yes. which, which is a very difficult yeah. place to be because you can't keep everyone happy all of the time, can you? No, it, absolutely. And I think it's natural, you know, as leaders, we all want to be liked and we want to make people happy. So it's natural to be that way. It, interestingly, though, you know, going back to the tough love, whenever I've had a situation... You know, they're, they're in the minority, I think for most leaders it should be that way, that I've had to be firm and hard and maybe give somebody or a smaller group, you know, a bad message and I needed to take a position where I'm being more directive. It's always been well received. It's, you know, you usually get to that point where there's others that are seeing, we want that, we want that. You know, you're always anxious and nervous about being or providing that particular type of leadership. But when you do it, you it's always where we'll see, where we'll see. That's I suspect you're doing it all the time, it might not be. But, you know, when you're not that way all the time and then you do it, it's usually because it needs it. People, yeah. There's people in the organisation will know that. People actually do need it. And I, you know, thinking back to when I was sort of a, a very junior doctor or, you know, starting working in different organisations and doing different things, actually you can go off on one and be a bit whingy and be this and actually sometimes someone just putting back going actually this isn't helpful can you do this mm. it's a bit of a well at the time you feel a bit yeah. hacked off but actually it's a bit of a relief that someone's actually called you out on the behavior and yeah. said said can you do it and I'm just wondering you know it's like you said if you were 
had the doing the tough love all the time, then yes, it wouldn't go down so well. But you mentioned earlier vulnerability and leadership. And I'm, mm. I'm just wondering where that fits in with then how your tough love is received. What are your thoughts on that? Just explain a little bit more. Yeah, explain what I mean by that. I was thinking, my thought process were that actually I reckon your staff will accept a lot of tough love from you because you model vulnerability in your leadership. So they've built up lots of trust in you. Okay. And yeah. so you model, you know, well, this is where I'm wrong and I'm not sure about this here. And, you know, and you're modeling that to your team so that when you say, actually, guys, this has got to stop, it's not helpful, they'll, they'll take it because yes. you've been vulnerable before. Am I? Yes. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think if they're getting more of the love than the, you know, the, the, or the nice love, the good love than the tough love, absolutely. So I think that they will go along with that. I think the other important thing, though, is, is understanding why you're saying something. Because even if you're being you know, nice and easygoing, they still want to understand that there are some goals that we're working towards. You know, the practice is going somewhere and they're going somewhere. So I think whichever you're doing, you're being that firm leader or you know, that easygoing leader, I think they want to understand that there are some goals, there's some purpose to what you're saying, what they're being asked to do. So I, I think that's important, very important too. So Gary, as we look forward to, well, look for, as we are looking Recovery, into the future, yeah. not we're looking forward to this, you know, yeah, yeah. as we are looking into the future, moving from this sort of active phase and probably the yeah. disillusionment and exhaustion bit of the active phase into the recovery phase, what would your top tips for anyone who's leading, even one other person or a team, what would they be? What do you think people really okay. need to keep in front of their mind? Yeah, and I, you know, I, I thought a little bit about this and how you know we can look at this simply. You know, I think for this recovery phase, to me, it's this is a journey. We you know we have to look at this as a journey. And there are three things that I think we need to think of. Is you know, first, where are we? Are we headed? So much has changed. You know, I think everybody's acknowledged that we're not heading back to ten-minute consultations and packed waiting rooms and the same way it was done. So I think you know to just have that vision of where we're heading. I mean, I think and make sure that you know you're clear about that and you're communicating it to you know your team and also the patients as well. Be thinking about who you who are you going there with because we're all working you know collaboratively now and the networks are so important. So I think that where are we heading? I think the second part of this is what are we taking on this journey because there. You know, there's so much that's changed. Are we going to be taking everything with us? You know, are, are we going to be taking the telephone consultations and video consultations and the locked doors? So I think, you know, we're, we're heading somewhere. What are we going to take with us? And I think we need to make sure that, you know, we, we're taking some time out to do some reflection and learning about all of this. And, and, you know, involving everybody in, internally and externally as well, because there are certain things that others have done. And I talk about our CCG that have really helped us. And that, you know, there, there are probably things that we've done that have helped others, but it'll also be the other way around. There's probably things that we've done that haven't helped others and vice versa. So I think, you know, having that reflection, learning and involving internal and external parties, I think is an important thing. If, you, if nothing else, you know, for these sorts of things, use this, uh, you know, your, your SEA process. You know, there's, if you follow an SEA process on these things. Just explain for people well. that don't know what an SEA is. Oh, sorry, in your, your significant event, we've had a significant event okay. uh, that might be good or bad, 
So, you know, if you want just a framework to hold a session on, you know, reflection and learning for this whole crisis, use that process. It'll give you the main talking points and you can see what's been good and what's been bad and hopefully it'll give you an idea of what you're going to be taking with you on the journey and, and you know, what you're not going to take. And then the third part that I, I think we have to think about is what have we got to get along the way whilst we're going on this journey? Because there's going to be some things that we've done. And um, if I take video consultations, maybe as one thing, or, or even telephone consultations for that, we're probably going to take those on the journey. They need to be improved. So along, along the way, you know, what, what have we got to get along the way? And that might be improving things. It might be making things safer. There might be things that we wanted to drop as well. You know, we, we, we need to be flexible on this journey. There might be things that we say, yeah, we're taking them, going to drop. I'm sure a part of this getting along the way will be building the staff back up and the team back up, you know, the resilience and the mental well-being of the staff as well. You've probably got to do that along the way. And thinking about when you're going to start with this as well, this journey. So that, for the recovery phase, nice and simply, that's how I've looked at it. It's a journey with where are we heading, what are we taking, what have we got to get along the way. Yeah, I think that's really good advice personally as well, because yeah. I think we've all there's all been stuff in lockdown that actually we quite enjoyed. <laughs> you yes, know, that, yeah. that actually some of us breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief when certain things just stopped. We didn't have to do them anymore. And I think reflecting on, you know, personally, where am I going? Where am I heading? What, what do I want out of life? Um, you know, what are we taking from lockdown? We want to continue. What do we want to stop doing? What do we want to continue? What do we want to start doing? And then, you know, what else do I need now to live the life that I that I really want to? There, there's an amazing quote from a chap called Adam Grant, who is a business psychologist, I think. He okay. writes a lot in the Harvard Business Review. He has a brilliant, brilliant podcast called Work Life with Adam, Adam Grant. Okay. He, that, he yeah. did a quote that really struck me. He says, what we're seeing is that people are grieving for a life that made them freaking miserable. Uh, so during uh, this crisis, you know, take the opportunity not just to sort of pivot your business, but actually pivot how you're living life to live in a more meaningful and purposeful way. I just love that quote because I think my feeling is that we've, we've got ourselves quite wound up into this frenzy of activity, <clears throat> particularly if you've got, I don't know, teen, teenage children. I was like taking them to places and doing this and that and, and racing around and you know, what, what is it that, you know, and I, th I think that the crisis, even though it's been dreadful, has in some ways given us a time to reflect and go, actually, what is life about? What is, yeah, what is the meaning? Really? Absolutely. I'm not sure that we, uh, well, that maybe some people, maybe it's just me. I don't feel I've found the answers. I feel I've had the time to slow down and think. I'm not yeah. sure I've had the answers. Yes. And I think it's getting the answers is really important. Yeah. In, in fact, we've got a, a handout that I'll make available, which is a stop, start, continue checklist. So if you want to download that mm. and you, there's lots of questions in there to help you reflect on this and just think about actually, what, what is it that I want to carry on? What is it I want to stop? You know, what can I, what learning is there during this that I can take forward? So mm. Gary, I'm afraid we're out of time, but okay. well, will you come right. back again? And we'll, we'll talk some more. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. So Gary, if people wanted to read your blogs, find out more about your book, find out more about you, where should they go? Uh, LinkedIn is the best place. That's where I'm, I'm most active. And I think if you search for Gary Hughes on LinkedIn, it'll come up quite highly. There's a blog once a week. Um, there's a book available, Leadership in Practice, which you can, again, through um, LinkedIn, you'll, you'll find out about it there. Brilliant. Thank and you. Ask me to connect. I'd love to connect with people. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. It's been a really fascinating conversation. 
And, you know, good luck with your going through the recovery phase with your practice. I'd be really interested to hear in a few months' time, you know, what, what have you kept? What have you yeah. got rid of? Because I, my sneaking suspicion there's going to be quite a lot that we realised we didn't need to do in general practice. Yeah. I hope so. Mm. I hope so. It's a good, a good question. I look forward to that. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, we'll speak soon. Thank right. you. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.